Welcome to the Bank Leader Link podcast, sponsored by BOK Financial Institutions Group. The team at BOK, based in Milwaukee, is comprised of experienced bankers who have focused their entire careers on servicing community banks in the Midwest. BOK Financial Institutions Group provides services created over several decades to meet the evolving needs of your community bank. With BOK, financial institutions are not just getting one skilled, experienced investment professional. Rather, they are getting the benefit of a whole team of professionals who have a proven track record so you can be confident in the service and advice you receive. BOK offers solutions that result in long-term partnerships. They are a great partner with the IBA and with many banks. Look for the BOK team at the next IBA event you attend or reach out to BOK Financial Institutions Group at 866-440-6515 to start a conversation. Now it's my pleasure to introduce the host of the Bank Leader Link podcast, Randy Holkgren, President and CEO of the Illinois Bankers Association. Listen to industry experts share the critical links you've been missing to prepare yourself for the future of banking. Hi, this is Randy Holtgren. Welcome to Bank Leader Link. So grateful for you all joining us. And I am really excited to have a special guest with us today, Rob Engstrom. Rob's a good friend. Uh, Rob is the chief political strategist for the American Bankers Association. And I get to uh, learn from Rob every time we have gatherings with the ABA of uh, different things that are going on politically. And so really grateful, Rob, uh, for joining us on our podcast today. Randy, thanks so much. You've been a friend and someone I've learned from. It's the other way around for a really long time. I appreciate your service Mm -hmm. uh, for the United States and the Congress, but also now your service. It's great to reconnect in your role at at the Illinois Bankers. Um, So thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it, too, you you saying that. means a lot to me. It's funny. We had a conversation, a group of us, just a couple days ago of, you know, grateful things. And one of them was, I was so grateful to not be on the ballot uh, this year. (laughs) Uh, It has gotten tough. Uh, And again, I loved serving. And I'm like you, you know, I just, what a privilege to serve, to be a part of this. I believe so strongly in this nation and this representative form of government where it really is rank and file people willing to serve. It was wonderful. Couldn't have done it without you, people like you, great staff, great teams. And, you know, that's what I miss the most, I think, is those relationships that you build on the Hill that are unlike anywhere else in the world. Well, it's a special system that we have, and I think it's never been more important to serve. Yeah. And one of the most difficult things, you and I were talking about this in the in the session yesterday with a meeting with 42 bankers, yep. association CEOs from across America, who are having this same discussion in their states yep. too, which yep. is how do we find women and men uh, who are either currently in the Congress or who we can encourage to get in the Congress to make a difference. Yeah. And it's never been more important. Uh, we remain in a protracted period of disruption in our politics, which gives our fellow citizens some uncertainty, not yeah. to mention, uh, you know, hopefully winding down you know, with regard to COVID. But I'm absolutely confident in our system and the men and women that serve. And, and I appreciate your service very much in, in your current capacity and the past Thanks. capacity as well. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Hey, real quickly, before we jump into... What is, I don't know, I feel like I keep saying this with each election, like this is un- unprecedented, but it really is. I mean, it just feels like I can't predict it anymore. You know, how things are going to go. Polling is so uncertain. But anyhow, before we get there, tell me a little bit more just about your path to the American Bankers Association and your current role. Well, thank you. So born outside New York City, 
grew up in Georgia, school in Texas. My first job out of college was with Newt Gingrich. Wow. Seven fifty an hour in the mailroom. <laughs> nice. I literally was the mail guy yeah. every day. That's awesome. Uh, and then worked at the Republican National Committee training and working with local candidates and volunteers, people that sacrificed their time away from their families to help invest their time in people like you, Randy. And that's kind of how I was raised. And then U.S. Chamber for almost 20 years, Mm -hmm. working on behalf of state candidates, federal candidates, but really the joy that I've had. And I've been blessed with a state job in a federal town. So I don't lobby. Mm -hmm. I don't do policy. I'm not smart enough. I'm really good at flying on planes. I can do (laughs) that. I I can do the window seat, (laughs) the aisle. But I really have traveled to all 50 states and learned about the local impacts of federal policy and state policy. And that's something that's a passion of mine. That's Mm -hmm. why I love working with you and your talented team and our friends across the banking sector as well. And I was blessed to come to ABA five years ago to help work with the state banking associations as my primary charge. And then, and yes, do some politics as well in this asymmetrical political environment, the Mm -hmm. election that never seems to want to end. But that's, that's sort of just a quick summary of my background. That's awesome. Well, I had similar, I mean, I started out as a paid intern right out of college on Capitol Hill, uh, not making much. And so I was waiting tables. There was a place called American Cafe up on Mass Avenue, right across from the Heritage Foundation up there. So waiting tables. And then I was also making cold calls at RNC trying to fundraise. (laughs) Done that too. (laughs) I know. Full circle. It's like I would go back, you know, making my phone calls for trying to raise money when I was in Congress. I was like, I feel like I've been here before. I've done this before. Yes. It's a little different when you're doing it for your own campaign, but still, I'm grateful. Uh, And yeah, so many young people like we were uh, willing to sacrifice so much to be a part of the system that really, I still believe, like you said, best in the world, bar none, even though it frustrates the heck out of me and drives me nuts. But it still is, I believe in it. I do believe there's pendulum swings. And I feel like hopefully we're kind of in one of those. But I want to get dig in just uh, for a few minutes. Of, sure. What do you think? I mean, did you see any of this coming? How the election went? I mean, we're we're recording this a week and a half after the election. And, you know, some of these races still haven't even been decided yet. And we know Republicans control the House, Democrats control the Senate. Obviously, Democrats continue to control the White House, the administration. What do you think? Well, I think our fellow citizens remain evenly divided yeah, uh, in the deeply. House and the Senate in a deep way, to your point. I was on the Florida recount in six counties for five weeks, and I thought that was sort of a point of inflection and yeah. that we'd settled down. And it's only gotten more... Uh, to your point about the pendulum, it's it's swinging wildly, yeah. whether it's a wave election in 06 or 08 for the Democrats or 10, you know, for the Republicans and back to 94 uh, back in the day yeah. as well. I think our fellow citizens remain divided in a significant way, and I think that's reflective of the composition of the majorities once they are ultimately settled with the runoff in my home state, you know, December 6th. Thankfully, it's one month shorter than it was last time with the two races and the House majority becomes settled. I think it's going to be about a four to six seat, probably five seat majority for the Republicans, which makes governing more difficult. I think that the red districts have gotten redder with redistricting this time. I Mm -hmm. think that the blue districts have become more blue. And the question is, do we have men and women of courage who are prepared to stand in the middle and actually govern on the things that we have to deal with? The issue set that impacts the banking sector in particular, but also the free enterprise system. And it's never been more important to defend both of those. And I think finding men and women who have that courage right now uh, is critical. The second point, and we can maybe get into this later on, Randy, is we're already in a presidential cycle. President Trump has announced You've seen some some comments by Mr. Pence, Mr. Pompeo, others who are interested perhaps 
in running. And so I think you know, that's something that will be in the backdrop as we think about what majorities look like in the Senate and the House uh, moving ahead. Yeah. Quickly on just the makeup, are you optimistic that we can find people to kind of come together? Or do you feel like we're just everybody's digging in, even in the Congress, getting ready now for 2024? So I think part of the problem is people, are congressmen and women and candidates are rewarded some of them by screaming at the sky yeah. and raising low dollar you know amounts yeah. of money to yeah. fund their campaigns and they don't have an incentive to govern because their districts perhaps might be 70 percent republican or democrat so they don't worry about november yeah. in my judgment there were only 34 seats in the house that were actually competitive in november so yeah. folks are looking over their right and left shoulders worrying about a primary and they don't think about november at all which makes this problem it exacerbates this problem. Yeah. I will recommend, you know, just a couple of folks in the Democratic Party, recognizing my background in the yeah. Republican Party. You know, Josh Gottheimer in New Jersey, yeah. uh, co-chairman of Very the fair. Problem Sol- Solvers Caucus, mm-hmm. fantastic yes. guy, great friend, pragmatic, yeah. willing to work across the aisle, getting penalized sometimes for it. And Lou Correa, my, yes. my buddy out in Orange yeah. County, California. He's just a great guy. He is a great and, guy. and he's beyond a great guy. He is substantive, yes. and both of these gentlemen are substantive, and they've worked in the private sector, so they understand the issues that impact our financial system, and they're people that I think represent the best of America. So what I try to do my job, and you do too, is find people that can yeah. emulate that model and that mode. So I have to be optimistic in my job. It's easy to be de- pessimistic and yeah. be down yeah. in American politics right now, but I remain optimistic because of people like those two gentlemen. That's great. Know those guys. I didn't get to serve with them very long, just a couple years, but uh, but love them. Really so solid, so smart, like you said, and really wanting to get things done. Yeah. And that was frustrating for me that there was a pretty clear divide, even when I was there. And I think it's worse now where there's people who aren't interested necessarily in being leader, but want to accomplish something during this time of service and don't want to spend their you know, 30, 40 years in Congress, they want to get something done and then do something else. But then there's others that it frustrates me too, where I think we've had times in history where we've had inspirational leaders that motivate action through inspiration. And then we've had other times where action is motivated because of fear and really scaring people on both sides. And it makes me sad where I feel like that's kind of the default right now is more the fear uh, the threat of something being taken away from you rather than a calling to something greater. Right. Any it, thought? It used to be that compromise wasn't a four-letter word. Yeah. It used to be that strength was gained and, and acknowledgement and seniority was gained by coming to the middle and saying, I've got the ability to persuade people yeah. to join me on Bill X or Bill Y. And now strength is gained by going to the extremes and yelling at the sky and saying no in 147 different languages. And so it's like I always say to folks is, why are you going to run for a job if you don't want to do it? And yeah. so, yeah. you know, we used to have people that wanted to do it. Tip O'Neill. Yes. Ronald Reagan. That's right. My former boss, President Clinton. Yeah. They didn't go out and have a beer at night always. Yeah. But they did work together on NAFTA. They yeah. worked together on a number of critical issues that are still durable in my view. And you, you're the expert on this. I'm not, Randy. But my study of, of American history is things that are durable, that last, yeah. are done on a bipartisan basis. And yes. the word moderate... And compromise, again, are four-letter words. I know. But that is a strength for our nation. That's why we are where we are, balancing that with a constitutional republic that values the view of the states and allowing the states 
to also have a view in, in terms of their own governance. Now, they have a different metric, and of course, because of the balanced budget um, requirement in the states, which makes it somewhat easier on the one hand. Yes. But I think that the middle is a place where there are very few friends. Um, Joe Manchin would be one of them, yep. who's known him for 20 plus years, and he's been someone that I think has been incredibly constructive during this turbulent time. I would agree. Another great friend and yep. someone I respect so much uh, in a tough, tough spot in yep. a lot of ways, yes. but so strong. Quickly, before we move on, so again, kind of getting back to your old boss, President Clinton at the time, I think a lot of people were surprised after 94 that there was that willingness of those two very strong personalities to find ways to work together. Any hope that that could happen with Speaker McCarthy and President Biden of coming together to get some things done or, or no? I So I've known Mr. McCarthy since 1998. He was the yep. young Republican National Federation chairman. I was oh. a little wet behind the ears kid who was, <laughs> who was making those phone calls like yeah. you were. And, and so I know him really well. I was in his office back in March, uh, catching up and visiting with him. And he's got an ability. He's got a very tough job. He does. But he has an ability to connect with people. And that's what I've known for all these years. And I've seen it when he was a staff guy, district director, chair of the YRs, but also in his role in Congress. And I am optimistic. I have to be. And I would commend a book. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. There's a book called What It Takes. Mm by Richard Ben Kramer that goes through the, for example, the 1996 campaign, and it looks at the Republicans that were running, Mr. Dole, what a what an American patriot mm-hmm. uh, in his background Absolutely. and service to our nation right. in World War II, and, and then into the country in the Senate as well. Uh, and then it looks at Mr. Biden and the Democrats. And if you look at Mr. Biden's personal story, which I know you study yes. and have for a long time, mm-hmm. it's a moving personal it story. It represents the best of America. And mm-hmm. we can disagree about policy. It's like an old uh, Democratic chief of staff in the White House for Mr. Clinton, who a mentor of mine used to say, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Right. Mr. Biden has a track record in the Senate of governing mm-hmm. and being pragmatic and being one of those people in the middle. Mr. McCarthy has done the same. Now the question is, what's the political pressure in the yes. backdrop of a presidential campaign? But both have had examples through their history of, of being that deal maker. And they're in the positions they are for reasons that are, are, you know, straightforward, complicated, but straightforward. So I am optimistic things can get done. I think the cross pressure is what, what does the economy look like? What does the debt look like given the amount of money that we've spent? What's yeah. the condition of our nation as it relates to COVID uh, as well? And, and, you know, are Americans in the position to express grievance in 2024? or optimism. Yeah. We're, as bankers and as people that are in the industry, we're aggressively optimistic all the time. But we have to be also realistic about what that environment looks like as we move closer to a presidential election, which I would argue is, is well underway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's uh, for those of you who already missed the political ads, the good news is uh, the, the next <laughs> campaign has already started. The ads are coming. Yeah, it's just going to be, again, just a intense couple of years that I just am not quite sure where it goes kind of wrapping up what we've just gone through for the last couple months. To me, it was so interesting how, you know, really it was Florida and New York, maybe a few other spots that kind of became majority makers. I mean, it was certainly spots for Republicans, but there was a lot more seats. Florida, maybe not such a surprise. New York was a bit of a surprise for me. And it seems like there, you know, the crime issue and the economy inflation issue maybe played a little bit more there. But then there are other spots Illinois being one where that just wasn't an issue at all, I don't think. I really think it was Dobbs' decision. It was Trump. It was other things that absolutely drew, drove some of the races in Illinois. So to me, that was 
I don't fully understand it. How different states could react so differently to the situations that were going on. Any thoughts on that? I think you hit on a couple of really important points. I think the issue of security is sort of, to me, the headline. Competence and security are the two words I yeah. think about in terms of trying to begin to digest this election, which we'll be doing for a long yeah, time, well, I suspect. I think so, too. So security to me means school safety, border, financial security, international security. Yeah. I mean, we could go on, but it's, it's, a, it's an umbrella to me that a lot of things fit under that really help determine you know, this election. I think your point about the Dobbs decision is a really important one. I think it gave Democrats a life raft at a point where you know, the expectations were that there was gonna be a quote unquote Republican wave. Yeah. Nobody's been able to define to me what a Republican wave means, yeah. but I do think it's something that really did motivate Democratic voters at a really critical time. Your point about Florida and New York are, is spot on. Mm -hmm. I looked and we talked yesterday, the, the Florida results with Mr. Rubio and Mr. DeSantis. I Amazing. think everybody thought yeah. they were gonna win, but I sure yeah. didn't think it would be 20 points <laughs> at all. Yeah. And you know, we're here in South Florida and you know, Miami-Dade and Palm Beach County. Yeah. And I, I mean, Republicans winning here yeah. is like a bird flying backwards. Right. And so that was really interesting. So I thought that that was a canary in the coal mine mm -hmm. or some tea leaves yeah. and, and I was wrong because then to your point in Illinois and in, in your home state and other places the results were, were split or different yeah. but New York was really interesting the governor's race I never thought Lee Zeldin former congressman our mm -hmm. friend yes. was, was you know had a chance to win ultimately but he ran a brilliant campaign he and he kept a lot of districts very very close and was really a, a leader in terms of helping those folks to talk about, again, the local impacts of federal policy. And then California yeah. is always really late. A lot of districts out there, 52 of them, and some are still undecided. There are about 15 by you know, 6 o'clock this morning that are still out-ish, depending <laughs> upon how you count it. So I do think Dobbs played a critical role, but I do think it's, it's Tip O'Neill's old line about, you know, all politics is local. You know, campaigns and candidates actually do matter. I give great credit to the voters across this nation who actually do scrutinize yes. and look at folks who knock on their door and call them and talk to them and say, I want to get the measure of the woman, get the measure of the man and make my own decision. And that's why I think we saw a lot of split tickets this mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see what the data and the surveys and summaries look like afterwards. But anecdotally, at least, and some articles I've read indicate that that was significant. People were scrutinizing candidates based, again, on, on their competence and genuine approach and authenticity. And I think, you know, I give great credit uh, to the American voters who really do that. Yes. And I think this is an example of that. And that's why our nation's so evenly divided. Right. Well, I hope more do. Again, I, I think it is, it, I think about the sacrifice that has been made for our ability to, to have a voice in our elected officials and not to take that for granted and not just to do it on a, you know, vote on a whim or not vote at all. You know, I just feel like it's more than a right, it's a responsibility uh, to take very seriously. I do think it's interesting too, looking at Florida where, I don't know, uh, it seems like a message is hard work and effectiveness moves people. You know, that no matter what the other issues are, if you're gonna work hard and, you know, when there's a challenge that we're facing together and you're leaning into it, and I would argue that absolutely Governor DeSantis and Senator Rubio, with the hurricanes, with the challenges there, boy, they responded, both responded quickly, their teams literally on the ground, moving to get things done. And I think people appreciated that. Even people who normally wouldn't vote Republican said, you know what, this person deserves my vote because they worked hard 
didn't matter. Republican, Democrat, they worked for, hard for Florida. So I, I hope that's an inspirational message out of this as well. I, I think it is. I think people can see people that are, again, genuine and authentic. And, and Florida, to your point, is a perfect example of that. I'd also commend Virginia, the governor's race. Yes. They have theirs, you know, well, right. the governor's race in the off year last year. Virginia yep. hadn't had a Republican statewide elected official since 2005. Yes. They only have three statewide constitutional officers, as you know. But Mr. Youngkin ran a campaign based on exactly what you just said, Randy, mm-hmm. which is people that are working hard, yeah. represent, do they, you know, they, do they look and feel like me? Do they, you know, are they executing and doing the job? Yeah. And that's why I think he's a contender for the president of the United States, because yeah. he's done that in a state that's been blue. Mr. Biden, President Biden won it by 10 percentage points. Virginia, Northern Virginia doesn't have a single member of the House of Delegates that's a Republican. And so the state has changed since I was a little kid, you know, yeah. you know, kind of moving to D.C. and doing all that uh, early in my career. But I think there are members of both parties like Mr. Rubio, Mr. DeSantis, focused on competence, like Mr. Youngkin as well, yes. on issues that typically don't necessarily win in political races for Republicans, like, for example, education reform and school safety, where he was able in the suburbs to really make significant inroads in places that Republicans hadn't for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, again, time goes by so fast, but I would love just to kind of get your thoughts if we look forward to 2024. And it's hard to say that, but it's, I do, you know, I'm I'm still, I love this and I love our country. You got to be an optimist. Otherwise it just beats you up. I think it's going to be an interesting couple of years. I also think it's, you and I were talking, I hadn't really thought of this, but it's in several spots in the nation, there could be several candidates from a state. You know, what we talk about in Florida, that Governor DeSantis, um, Senator Rubio, and Senator Scott, all three, plus President Trump, you know, it could be four candidates from one state vying for the state, basically, that also could define other things. South Carolina could be Senator Scott, former Governor Haley, Texas, it could be Senator Cruz, could be Governor Abbott, you know, so I just think that's an interesting dynamic as well, where in the past, it seemed like there was like one lead person from a state. Now it could be a couple within a state kind of fighting for prominence. Yeah, I'm thinking back to 2000, and we did talk about this yesterday, and, you know, Mr. McCain, God bless him, you know, servant's heart, and what Mm -hmm. a hero, Vietnam, and just in his service to our nation, so I... I'm grateful for his friendship. Uh, you know, you got, you know, back in the day, it was John McCain and George W. Bush, and that, yes. that was the horse race. Yep. And now you need stadium seating and a wide camera lens for the debate stage <laughs> to fit it in both parties, by the way, to fit folks on. But you're right. There are clusters in Florida and Texas and different states in South Carolina as well. And everybody in the Senate thinks that they can be a president. So we have 250 people, Randy, yes. that are going to run for president, <laughs> it seems. But I think... What I always say is, you know, the the race for president initially is about four statewide races in, in really important states that we all know. And then we go to ultimately to Super Tuesday and then somebody rides the lightning yes. in, in both political parties. And then we see what happens. But I do think it's a consequential time. And to your point earlier, everybody says this is the most important election. Yeah. But I do think it's a time where America needs confidence and they need certainty mm-hmm. and they need to be able to plan and also recover. I mean, that's how I sort of think about what this election is about, mm-hmm. cu- coupled with certainty and and competence as yes. well. So I think it's going to be a very crowded field. We're in a, a point of inflection 
Um, typically, as you well know, it's January, February, March, where folks begin to either announce formally for president or they begin to form exploratory mm-hmm. uh, you know, committees or testing the waters committees. And I think that calendar is, again, being pulled forward this time yes. based on the president's announcement, Mr. Pence's movements and Mr. Pompeo. And you know, I would also you know, flag Governor Hutchinson from mm-hmm. Arkansas, yes. who's former chairman of the National Governors Association, who's a leader that's demonstrated an, an ability in a bright red state yes. to govern with Democrats mm-hmm. and is someone that is, I think, a, a thought leader yes. and has a chance to be relevant in this election. He was on CNN yesterday morning and, mm-hmm. and telling his story, and he's a friend, someone I deeply respect. Yes. And, and so that's the, the caliber and the quality of folks that have an opportunity to get in is, is important. It then becomes a math equation, Randy. I'm not very good at math. I can only count to 50% plus one. That's important, one. though, in this business. Um, it is. That's good counting. Yeah, except for, you know, now they have ranked choice voting and runoffs, so yeah. maybe I'm not that good. But but anyway, I, I think it is a consequential time, and I think that the race is on, and I think it's imperative that the American people demand answers on substantive issues and then kick tires and see yeah. what they look and feel like in Des Moines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can, can defer on this one. I totally give you permission. What do you think? Will President Biden run again? Will President Trump ultimately, he's announced, but you know, will he stick with it? Uh, or is this just kind of uh, something in, in this for now? What's, what's your gut? Let's, I'm not shy, you know it. So I'm going to say it and you know, you're going to record it. And so I'll be proved wrong or right. But um, the, I don't think Mr. Biden ultimately runs again. I think yeah. that the question in my mind is how long does he freeze that field? Yes. If you look at folks like Governor Newsom in mm-hmm. California, who has tremendous fundraising prowess, yeah. you know, and others. There are more. Governor Pritzker, we talked Go- about Governor it. Governor Pritzker too. as well. He's you got know, some funding too. A lot of, lot, yeah, got a few dollars in the, you know, in the couch, a few coins in the cushion. <laughs> yes. Um, but th- look, there are people that are, you know, proven vote getters in yeah. states like Illinois and California that are really, really important to, to our nation and also really, really important in the Democratic nominating process in the donor community. And so, so there are folks in those states and more that, that really, you know, that, that are going to be serious people in this, in this contest. So I, but I don't ultimately, if you push me, I'm going to say, you know, I don't think Mr. Biden runs again. I respect him. I respect the office. I respect his service and and his life story, as we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier, full stop. I just don't think that, that he will run ultimately and that's kind of my yeah. view. And I agree and, with you. And, and maybe I'm not being no, fully do. analytical there, but that's my view. Yeah. I think Mr. Trump's going to have a very difficult time. Yeah, I, I think I, it was a tough election for him on a lot of fronts. I mean, a lot of his picks didn't do very well. He raised a lot of money that he didn't spend helping some of the candidates that he, at least in my understanding, it didn't seem like a lot of it went to help these candidates. So I, I think it was a tougher election for him. And we're maybe going to see some uh, some of that. You agree? I completely agree. And if you look at the rally and the announcement, yeah. in contrast and compare that to the rallies when he was a candidate before pre- being president, yeah. the energy, the yes. momentum, the concise ability to sort of deliver a message yeah. on on issues that really resonated with that primary electorate in 2016, or was, in my judgment as a political analyst, was very, very different. And the energy seemed lower, the crowd seemed yeah. much smaller, and not just at this rally. So I think, you know, and the staff, um, you know, many of them have peeled away yes. and they're doing different things. And so I think, you know, he's going to have a difficult time. It's, re- as you well know, Randy, from all your experience, it is very hard to run for president. It is. It's very hard to win. Yeah. It's very hard to win lose and then win again yeah. uh, in American history. And so I think he's going to have a very difficult time. I think also the American people are looking forward to a new leader yeah. and they'll pick which party, they'll pick which candidate, but the elections 
you know, elections are about the future, not the past. Yes. And I don't know what his message at the end of the day, you know, campaigns, presidential level are built around messages and optimism and and being tough and all those things and building infrastructure. I don't know what his message would be. Yeah. Frankly, I'm with you. Yeah, I just don't I don't see it. I also think, again, grateful that this is open to whoever is is able to uh, put it together. But I think personally, I'd love to have some new voices, some fresh younger voices. Uh, We've seen leadership changes on the Democratic side in the House. And I just think it'd be great to have kind of a next generation of leaders step up. I think there's plenty there. So uh, my hope is we're going to have that energetic, hopefully positive debate. And I would love it to be inspirational rather than fear driven. Uh, I think we've got the potential with some of these candidates that you've been talking about to to absolutely inspire people again. And we need that. One last thing as we wrap up, it's going to be an interesting election as well. Congress, this was an, an anomaly year in a lot of ways because census was so delayed, compressed elections were really tight, new districts. So I kind of feel like it wasn't a, a great sample of an election with a lot of these districts. Where I think next year, obviously 435 members of Congress are going to run, but these districts will be a little bit more solidified. And then on the Senate side, I think it's going to be a tougher election year for Democrats. There's going to be a lot more folks who are going to be on the ballot in maybe tougher states to defend. Any quick thoughts on that? Yeah, to your point, you're exactly right. The Senate map flips back. So now Republicans were largely, almost entirely on defense this time. Yes. Uh, And, you know, looks like they're probably unlikely to pick up a single seat in that regard. Lost a seat. So 51-49 is what I see. And we'll see what happens in my home state. But Mm -hmm. it then flips back. And Republicans do have an opportunity in some really important states, some red states that Democrats reside in, to make gains and to move ahead there. So I think Again, predictions two years out are difficult, but I would say if I was a betting man, and I'm really not a betting man, I'd say Republicans are favored in that regard. It just, again, depends on candidate quality. I mean, I think that's this cycle. Leader McConnell's been vocal about this, who I have the deepest respect for. Mm -hmm. Candidate quality matters. Voters are going to decipher between candidate A and candidate B in the nominating process in the primaries, for example. And then the House, I think we're going to have to see how Republicans govern. Mm -hmm. And and do they choose to go down the road of endless investigations? We've been here before. Government shutdowns, we've been here before. Or is it, you know, finding ways to actually have accomplishments that move the ball? Again, I have tremendous confidence in Mr. McCarthy, Mr. Scalise, and Mm -hmm. and the team there to do things. And then members of the Democratic Party that we talked about before, not just Mr. Gottheimer and Mr. Correa, but those two in particular, who really do understand that. And so um, I also agree with you, and I like the phrase, it's not about fear. I hope it's not about fear. It should be about optimism and results. My dad would say to my sister and me growing up, you know, you can deal with good news, you can deal with bad news. You can't deal with uncertainty. Yes. Results are what matter. And so mm-hmm. that's always been my North Star. Mm-hmm. I, you know, in terms of politics too, yes. that's about life, but this is about politics. And so, but I do think Republicans, if they govern, if they are responsible and results oriented, I think that there's a reasonable chance they will keep and grow their majority. But we're not back in the days where there's a 40 seat majority or a 30 mm-hmm. seat majority. Yeah. We're going to be in this place, in my opinion, with the pendulum right. swinging. Yeah. You know, 15 seats perhaps here, five mm-hmm. seats there. And so my, you know, the, on the positive optimistic side, Randy, uh, as we round out, it's I hope that that forces a more bipartisan environment. Yes. Because if this is the status quo and the new normal, then you know, at some point the voters are going to say, you hadn't done, you've been there for yeah, 25 yeah. years, you hadn't done what anything. Do you, yeah, what do you have to show for it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I hope that's the case. 
One last word is grateful for you and your team and just want to encourage listeners that it still is important to be engaged. And Bank Pack, our Illinois Pack, these make a difference. You know, we, we support candidates on both sides of the aisle, state level, federal level, and it really is important. I know personally, again, being a recipient of uh, some of that funding when I was a when I was serving, that really did free me up to be able to go deeper on issues. There was no quid pro quo. There was nothing, no strings attached other than we want you to listen to our issues. And that is what's so powerful about this. So it is important for bankers, for people who work in banks, uh, the industry to recognize that this doesn't, you know, good bank policy doesn't happen by accident. We need good candidates, both Democrats and Republicans who listen. So thank you for your team of uh, leading that charge, but we're proud to be a part of it as well, of trying to raise important dollars to support candidates on both sides of the aisle who are going to care about banking issues. Well, I'm grateful to be with you, first of all, Randy. And let me say to your listeners, you know, appreciate the membership with the Illinois bankers. Thanks for what you do on membership first. And thanks very much what you do for politics. It truly does make a difference to sit in the small room and be able to convey and explain the nuances of the issue set that each of you risk managers deal with every day. It's not a black and white issue. It's very gray and nuanced. And being able to communicate that is really important. And I would say to my friend, this is a man in his unique seat as the only former elected official in the Congress who's serving. You know, people look to Randy to understand how this all fits together. And so we have a friendship and known each other for a long time. But yeah. being able to provide that mentorship that he does to his colleagues uh, is something that is that is unique and people seek him out. And so I, I just appreciate the time with you, Randy, as always here and on this podcast. And we're always a resource and, and our job is to serve the membership in Illinois and across America. And, and I appreciate you as a friend. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thanks. Good to be with you, Rob Engstrom. Rob is a chief political strategist for the American Bankers Association. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on Bank Leader Link. Thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great day.